Welcome to Sovereign Grace. I'm glad that you're here with us. We're going to be looking at Genesis 24 this morning. Genesis 24. This is the longest narrative in Genesis as we continue. It's the longest story told in the book of Genesis. And my plan was, notice the past tense, to preach the entire passage this morning. And then I went over my notes this morning and thought, well, we'll be here all day. And the problem with that is the air conditioner is not working in the building today. They've been fixing it. Hopefully it comes on. Thankfully it's unseasonably cool outside, so we're not dying from the heat in here. But I've decided to break it into two parts. So we'll take the first part today and the second part next week. Look with me at Genesis 24 and verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look at this passage, this narrative, this story of Abraham and his servant, of Rebekah and Isaac, and of your providential work in giving a wife to Isaac, as we consider the blessing that you have shown to Abraham, the faith of Abraham in your covenant, and the faith of his servant in the same, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that your spirit sang to the churches 
Help us to receive this for what it is, the word of our holy Lord. Help us to be transformed by the working of your spirit as your son, the head of the church, speaks through the word by his spirit to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is an ancient Christian creed that is really confessed by all Christian churches called the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed begins with the profession of faith, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker or creator, depending on the version you're saying, maker or creator of heaven and earth. All true Christians confess that God created all things. He created everything in the heavens and the earth, and that is emphasized in our passage today, that he is the creator of all things. Look at the oath that Abraham has his servant swear. Look at Genesis 24.3. That I may make you swear by the Lord, notice, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. You will swear by the Lord, Yahweh, the God who is the covenant Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. And this oath is tying us all the way back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the God who created all things is the covenant Lord of Abraham. And Abraham understands that. Abraham trusts in the Lord. And his Lord is the creator of the heavens and the earth. So Abraham is essentially asking the servant to confess this. Confess, I believe, in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. Why? Why send the servant out on his mission with that confession undergirding the oath he takes? What are we believing when we confess, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator or maker of heaven and earth? What are we believing? We are confessing, yes, that he is the creator of all things, but we're also confessing that he is the ruler of all things. He is the provider. You've heard the word providence. We talk about God's creation. He created all things. And God's providence. He provides all things. He's at work in everything. Everything comes from his hand. Now, I want you to look at the screen because I want to show you Lord's Day 9 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Listen to how they pick this up, because I think it's really helpful. Question, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? When you say that, what are you believing? Because we confess that. Here's the answer. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father. For the sake of Christ, his Son. I trust God. Now notice this. Here's your application. You ready? I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. You hear how they talk about the current life under heaven? 
in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Do you believe that? This is what we see played out in Genesis 24. This is what we see happening in the lives of four believers. In fact, we see in Genesis 24 the example of four believers whose lips and lives cry out, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I trust him so much that I don't doubt he'll provide whatever I need for body and soul. He'll turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. I believe that he's able to do this because he's almighty God. I believe he desires to do this because he's a faithful father. All four of the figures in Genesis 24 believe that. Who are those four figures? Abraham, Abraham's servant, Rebekah, and Isaac. And friends, this is what these people believe is the truly blessed life. The truly blessed life. The blessed life is not ultimately the life of ease and prosperity. Our culture sings to us every day that the blessed life is the life of ease and prosperity. That's what it is. That's why the golden years are retirement. I wish when someone was telling me about the life of ease and prosperity in the golden years, when I was young and telling me those are the golden years, I wish somebody would have explained to me, hey, the golden years come with a lot of pain. They don't feel that golden as you approach them. Some of you are getting nearer and nearer them as I am, and they're feeling less and less golden, aren't they? They're feeling like you want to instead use the phrase, hey, getting old isn't for sissies. The blessed life is not ultimately the life of ease and prosperity. The blessed life is the life of resting the weight of your soul upon your faithful father. The one who is your father through the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's the blessed life. Resting the weight of your soul upon your faithful father in Christ. Children, if you have a good earthly father, you understand this. You understand this if you have a good earthly father. It's the kind of rest that you have because you trust in him. You trust him to take care of you. You trust him to pick you up when you fall down. You trust him actually to orient his whole life so that you're cared for. You don't understand that when you're a child, but when you become a parent, you realize your whole life gets reoriented to care for these children. You know your father will pick you up when you're hurt and protect you from any life-threatening harm. Here's what you need to know. The Lord of heaven and earth is way better than your earthly dad. He's way better both in his ability to do you good and in his faithfulness to do you good. And all of us need to trust in him. We need to trust in his invisible hand, which is ever at work for our good. 
He's at work in every detail of our lives. He watches over me. This is in actually Heidelberg Catechism question one. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. That's these men riffing on what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, what's being said in Psalm 139. Not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. So this morning in Genesis 24, we will see the blessed life of trusting in our faithful Father. And we're going to look at our passage in four movements around four characters, Abraham, Abraham's servant, Rebecca, and Isaac. Now here's what I'm doing this week. I'm going to split the sermon in two, so we're going to take the first two examples this week, Abraham and Abraham's servant. Next week, we'll look at Rebecca and Isaac. Now it's also a week in which we are commissioning missionaries to a foreign country. And so you might say, what does Rebecca and Isaac have to do with that? And I will make that clear. You'll see it quite clearly next week. But this morning, we're going to look at Abraham in Genesis 24, 1 through 9. And then we're going to look at Abraham's servant in Genesis 24, 10 through 14. Now, let me give you one more caution. My outline of the text is artificial. What do I mean by that? This narrative weaves together these characters all the way through it. So I'm just picking these passages as we move through because in the main, they focus on these particular examples. But they're not all the narrative has to say about them. So let's consider the first character, Abraham, in Genesis 24, 1 through 9. So look at Genesis 24, 1 through 9. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. The fact that he lived to a good old age is what God promised him in Genesis 15. Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord Yahweh, the covenant God, had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. See, Abraham was living among the Canaanites, not in his homeland, but now he was a sojourner, a stranger in this land that God had sent him to. And he doesn't want his son Isaac to have a wife from this pagan people. So he says, do this, verse 4, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Go there. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? You hear the question. Look, if I just go over to a foreign land and say to a woman, hey, I'd like to take you to marry a guy, she might not want to come with me. No surprise. <laughs> so should I just take your son back to meet her? So she goes, okay, this is all on the level. Listen to Abraham's response. Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, there he goes back to that language again, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. In other words, the Lord has told me to come to this land and the Lord has told me to take a wife for my son from my family and so I trust that the angel of the Lord will go before you and make that happen. I trust that, but look what he goes on to say. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine 
only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. What's happening here is Moses, who is the author of the first five books of the Bible, Moses is transitioning us from the story of Abraham and Sarah to the story of Isaac and Rebekah. He's doing so in such a way that we see God's faithfulness to his covenant promises and we see Abraham's faith in the Lord. So we're seeing both, God's faithfulness to his covenant promises and Abraham's faith in the Lord. So let's consider both of those ideas. God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. Again, look at Genesis 24.1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. You're already being told God has been faithful to his promises because in Genesis 15 he said you will live to a good old age. Goes on. And the Lord, that's the Lord who covenanted with Abraham, had blessed Abraham in all things. Now let's not miss this editorial comment. This is Moses giving you an editorial comment. Yahweh, the covenant Lord, had blessed Abraham in all things. All things. Now I want you to stop and consider the context of this narrative. The context of this editorial comment. What happened right before this statement from Moses that the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things? What's the story we get right before that? The death of Abraham's beloved wife, Sarah. His weeping over her death and his acquiring land to bury her. In the face of suffering, in the face of loss, Moses can say that the Lord has blessed Abraham in all things. How can he say that? Well, the Lord kept all his good promises to Abraham. Abraham was in the land, and he was there with his son Isaac. He was blessed in a number of ways. Look at Genesis 24, 35. Here's the servant speaking of Abraham. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when he was old, and to him he has given all that he has. See, he was richly provided for by his heavenly father. But you might say to that, so what? So what? What difference does being blessed with land and a son and servants and wealth, what difference does all that make in the face of the death of your closest companion? Listen, if you come to my house, if my wife happens to die before me, if she precedes me in death, which I hope not, and I hope I precede her in death, she sort of hopes she precedes me in death, and my actual prayer is that we just die hugging one night at an old age together, both, right? You know, who doesn't hope for that? But if she precedes me in death, if that happens, and you come to my house and say to me, but your retirement account has done really well, and you have a really nice house. And look, you have good children. That will not answer my suffering in the face of my wife's death. It won't. All the money in the world can't buy me out of grief. So how can Abraham be blessed in all things? 
Look at Genesis 24:40. Again, the servant speaking. But he said to me, the Lord, Yahweh, before whom I have walked, this is Abraham speaking, the servant speaking on his behalf. The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Notice that phrase the servant puts into Abraham's mouth. The Lord, before whom I have walked. I don't know if you hear that language. The Lord commanded Abraham in Genesis 17.1, walk before me and be blameless. And by God's grace, Abraham has walked before him. And the servants, the wealth, his son Isaac, and even the death and burial of his wife Sarah, wherein he was able to buy a burial place in the land of Canaan, all of those things, even her death and burial, served to show something more fundamental about the covenant between Abraham and the Lord. What's the more fundamental thing? God keeping all of those promises shows the truth that I will be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Do you understand how important that is? That is the central promise of every covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. You see it in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 17. You see it in the Mosaic covenant, for example, in Leviticus 26, 9 through 12. You see it in the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. You see it in the new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31. You see it in the incarnation of the Lord, who is Emmanuel, God with us. That God is our God and we are his people is the central promise. That's the promise that answers the problem of man who is separated from God due to our rebellion and sin. So Abraham is blessed by God in all things because God is his God and he is God's people. And even the burial of his wife Sarah demonstrates that God is his God and he is his people because in the burial of his wife Sarah, he acquired land in Canaan as God had promised. It's not the land he inquired in Canaan that comforted him. It's the fact that he saw God's hand at work keeping all of his promises, and so he knew God is my God, and I am his people. God is his faithful father because he trusts in Jesus Christ, his faithful savior. Say, Abraham trusted in the Christ, our savior? Yes, let's consider Abraham's trust. Second thing I said we'll consider here, Abraham's trust in God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. So God is faithful to his covenant promises. Abraham trusts in God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. Look at Genesis 24 and verse 3. Again, the oath. Abraham takes his household servant, his oldest one, who he's put in charge of everything, says, put your hand under my thigh. Note the oath. That I may make you swear by the Lord, the covenant Lord. The one who is I am, the God of heaven and God of earth, the creator of all things. That you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now look at verse 6. Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there to that land I'm from. The Lord, the God of heaven who took me from my father's house 
and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I'll give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Now note first that Abraham's trust is in his covenant Lord. You'll take an oath trusting in the covenant Lord, Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham. He's the God who created all things. Trust in him. Take a wife for my son from where he told me to take a wife for my son. Now look at verses 2 and 9 because this is an interesting thing. You've probably noticed and wondered what it means. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, verse 2, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth. Now look down at verse 9. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Why place his hand under his thigh? I mean, I've taken oaths before, made vows. I've never put my hand under another man's thigh when we're taking a vow. So what's happening here? What is that about? What's going on? Well, this is the vicinity of the source of procreation. I'm finding a classy way to say this. To put your hand under a man's thigh is to place your hand in the vicinity of the source of procreation from which the seed of that man will come. He was literally putting his hand in the place from which the offspring will come. The point is that Abraham is trusting in the promise of the seed who will come from him. The offspring who will be a blessing to all nations. Abraham trusted in Jesus Christ, our faithful Savior. Did he know him incarnate? In one sense, Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Does he know the full picture that we know after the incarnation? Of course not. But he's trusting in that Messiah who's coming. We can see his commitment to that in this passage. He is committed to avoiding anything that undermines the promises of God regarding the seed of the woman, the offspring of Abraham. Remember, there's a seed of the woman from Adam and Eve who will come. And he will crush the head of the serpent. He will be the second Adam, our Messiah, our Savior. He will not only come from humanity in general, but from Adam and Eve through Seth and his wife. So Adam and Eve had three sons. Seth was the third. Through Seth and his wife, then Seth had a series of children all the way down to Noah and his wife. And then from Noah and his wife through the three sons, one of them, Shem, and his wife. And then from the family of Terah, Terah and Shem, and you get Abraham. You guys tracking with me? You're just walking the genealogy out to Abraham's offspring. Abraham's offspring will be this coming Christ. And Abraham is keen to protect the promise. That's why my son can't marry one of these pagan women. She has to marry somebody from the line of Terah. One of the daughters of one of my brothers, in fact, the daughter of one of my brothers, Nahor. Send the servant, go there and get one of those daughters. He believes the Lord has and will keep his promises. He also believes he must protect the covenant family by not allowing them to intermarry with unbelievers. His son cannot intermarry with unbelievers. He sends his servant 
He's keen to keep Isaac in the land. Abraham, notice this, will not allow Isaac to marry a foreign woman. She must be from the family clan. Why? Because she must be from Terah's line. She must be from the line of Shem and Noah and Seth, as the seed of the woman is coming from that line. She must be from Abraham's family. Further, he understands that Isaac should marry only in the Lord. In fact, it is those men who reject the Lord who end up having no regard for the faith of the women they marry. So Ishmael and Esau both marry foreign pagan women. That's strictly forbidden in Israel. Listen to Deuteronomy 7.3. You shall not intermarry with them. This is God speaking to Israel about pagan nations. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn your son away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Friends, these prohibitions, I want to be really clear here, these prohibitions are not about God's hatred of ethnic intermarriage. This isn't God saying, I favor segregation. Two ethnicities shouldn't intermarry. That's not the point. This is about religious commitment. God abhors a Christian man marrying a non-Christian woman. Or a Christian woman marrying a non-Christian man. It's really about protecting two issues. One, protecting the line of the Savior. That's why this goes all the way through Israel's history. Protecting the line of the Savior. And two, protecting the hearts of the Savior's people. Abraham believed in the Lord Jesus Christ to come. The question is, do you? Do you trust in him? He is where true blessing is found. Abraham knew that, so he wanted to protect the line of the Savior. He wanted to protect the hearts of the Savior's people. It's only in Christ that God is your God and you are his people. And if you're his people, you need to vigilantly protect your own heart. Bad company will corrupt good character. It will. Your closest companions ought to be people who love Christ, his word, and his church, or your heart will begin to stray. Young people, that's especially true in dating and marriage. Especially true in dating and marriage. As Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 7 and 2 Corinthians 6, Christians are free to marry, but only in the Lord, as we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You marry in the Lord because you know that marrying an unbeliever will disrupt your trust in the Lord, and your eternal covenant with the Lord is all important. In fact, it is the source of all blessing. For these reasons, Abraham is committed to his son marrying in the Lord. Committed to it. To protect the line of the Savior and to protect the heart of his people. Second, let's consider the servant of Abraham. Look at Genesis 24 and verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today, and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac, 
By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love for my master. You see actually here in this part of the story and throughout the narrative that this servant trusts in the Lord. He's not merely a circumcised member of Abraham's household, though he was a circumcised member of Abraham's household. He's also a humble believer in the covenant Lord of Abraham. In other words, he's not merely somehow externally attached to Abraham's household as a servant. He's a child of Abraham by faith in Abraham's God. Children, please hear this. You are not saved because you grow up in a covenant Christian household. You're not saved because your parents believe and walk with Christ. It doesn't save you. You're not saved because your parents raised you in this church. You're only saved if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have the same faith as your parents have, assuming they're believers. And this servant has the same faith as the head of his household, Abraham. In fact, this servant of Abraham acknowledges the covenant Lord in all his ways. Notice what the servant does. Every time he puts up a prayer, he's saying, Lord, keep your covenant to my master Abraham. The servant does whatever the Lord has given him to do. You might say, well, okay, I have an objection. Was it really the Lord who gave him this thing to do? I thought it was Abraham who gave him this thing to do. Yes, but Abraham is a prophet of the Lord. To listen to Abraham's instruction regarding the Lord's commands and the Lord's promises is to listen to the Lord. He listens to the man of God as the man of God, if you will, speaks the word of God. That's what believers do. You understand that? We listen to those whom God has appointed to speak the word of God to us whenever they are speaking the word of God to us. Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say we listen to whatever they say. We listen to them when they speak the word of God to us. Whether that's our Christian parents when we're children or that's our Christian pastors as adults, when the word of God is spoken to us, we listen. And this servant does not veer from the instructions he received. He stays right on the straight and narrow with regard to the instructions he's received from the Lord by his servant Abraham. Look at Genesis 24, 37. My master made me swear. Now here he's talking to Rebecca's family, by the way. Laban, who you'll meet some more next week, and especially in Jacob's story, you'll hear about Laban. But here he's speaking to them. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Okay, so he's saying, I've come to this well of water outside the city where the women are coming out to draw water. And Lord, I pray that as these women come out, I'm going to speak to one of them. And I pray that the one I speak to and the one who says to me, not only will I give you water, I'll water your camels as well. I pray she's the one you've chosen for Isaac. I pray she's the one you've chosen for Isaac. And how will I know if she is? Because when she tells me what household she's from, if she's from Nahor's household, then she's the one. 
And so he prays for that. And he prays for that because that's precisely what Abraham told him as Abraham, if you will, speaking on behalf of the Lord, his promise and his commands, it's precisely what Abraham told him to go and do. Take a wife for my son from the household of Nahor, from the line of Terah. And so he's vigilant about that. That's what I'm going to pray for the Lord to provide. That's what I'm going to believe the Lord to provide. And so that's where I'm going after. And he reminds them, that's the oath I took. Now look at verse 45. Before I had finished speaking, this is the servant speaking again, telling his story about coming to see Rebekah. Before I had finished speaking, in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. You hear what he's saying? I was praying in my heart. I mean, he's not even praying out loud when he's saying, let the woman who comes. Probably there are several women coming out to draw water. So he's probably not saying out loud, Lord, let the next woman who walks up be the wife of my master's son. That might seem odd, right? So he's praying in his heart. And as he's praying in his heart, here comes Rebecca. And Rebecca gives him water. And Rebecca waters his camels. And he says, whose daughter are you? And she's from the family of Nahor which is what his master sent him to find, a woman from that family. And so he says, this is the one. And he bows his head and humbles himself and blesses God for keeping his promise. You directed my steps. I planned my way here. I sat down. I planned my way as I prayed. And you directed my steps. Verse 54, look there. Again, the servant will speak, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank. That's, again, Rebecca's family ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother, Rebecca's brother and mother, and I look forward to getting into Rebecca. She's going to take up the majority of our sermon next week because she's, just as a little sneak peek, she's essentially like the female Abraham. It's amazing, her story. But look what he says. Her brother and mother, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. You hear what he's saying? Hey, listen, I'm doing what the Lord has commanded. I'm doing what the Lord has given, what he's promised. I'm keeping my oath. I prayed, the Lord answered, don't delay my obedience. I'm taking her back. We need to go now. This is a man who trusts the Lord and not his own understanding. He begs the Lord to specifically provide what the Lord specifically promised. He keeps his vow to Abraham and to the Lord. He humbly and prayerfully submits himself to the Lord and his providential work. He does not trust in his own understanding. He trusts in the Lord and the Lord made his path straight. You guys are familiar with Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what Abraham's servant is doing. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Do you see Abraham's servant is playing this out? And he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You hear that? You come before the Lord humbly, prayerfully, thankfully, trustingly saying, I don't trust me, I trust you. I don't trust my own ideas, my own understanding, I trust your word. I acknowledge you in all my ways. I trust you to make my path straight. I'm not going to be wise in my own eyes. I'm going to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's where my flesh has healing and my bones are refreshed. That's the blessed life. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted firmly by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaves do not wither. You, you hear that? It's important that we pay attention to the attitude of the servant as well when he's successful. He trusts the Lord, the Lord delivers. What's his attitude in the face of success? When the servant is successful, he doesn't become personally inflated in his estimation of himself. Man, am I faithful. That's not his prayer. When he does what God commands and then God blesses that with success, the servant does not reflect on his own faithfulness. Look at how vigorous my prayer life was. Look at how much I trusted the Lord, only if other believers could be like me. That isn't what he says. He doesn't pat himself on the back for his faith. Rather, he becomes humbled by God's faithfulness and kindness to him. Look at verse 26 again, just briefly. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness, Toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. The Lord has done all this. Blessed be his name. Sovereign grace, we need to learn to pray like this, don't we? What's like this? We need to pray specifically. And by specifically, I mean always praying in accord with God's word. You pray in accord with what God has promised and what God has commanded. You do not lean on your understanding, but in all your ways you acknowledge him. You're not wise in your own eyes. You're not coming before the Lord saying, okay, when I look forward in the future, this is how I think it would be really wise if things worked out this way. So do that. You're saying, I fear you. I trust you. Give what you've promised. Cause me to do what you've commanded. You turn away from evil. What I'm saying is pray through scripture. Pray through it. Don't just study it. Pray through it. Do you want a tool? Like Crossway sells this ESV Bible, which is this gigantic box, Old Testament, New Testament, of all these books, every Bible book pretty much separate. And on one page of scripture, on the other page is lines for writing. Buy it. Sit there, read the scripture, and turn that into prayer. 
pray through it. Meditate on it and pray through it. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Trust him. Ask God for what he promises and trust him for what he promises. Ask God to cause your heart to love his law. Ask God to conform you to the image of Christ. For the answer to these prayers is the truly blessed life. Let me press one step further. What about trusting the Lord in mundane things? You know the mundane things, the earthly things. Can you trust him for your daily bread? Can you trust him to number your days and the, number, and the hairs on your head? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The older I get, the smaller the number of the hairs on my head. But the number is shrinking. The Lord has numbered them all. That's his sovereign good pleasure. Can I trust him for that? Sure. If I can trust him for something as mundane as that, to number the hair on my head, how come I can't trust him with other mundane things? Of course I can. Of course I can. He's a faithful father who gives good gifts to his children. I recognize that the book of God's providence is not one you can read. You understand what I mean by that? As God's story plays out in your life and in history, you can't always read that book. You often cannot see what the Lord is doing in the daily events of your life. You can barely see past one sentence on the page of the book of God's providence. But we trust that the Lord is at work. Sometimes we see what he's up to as to the good toward us. Sometimes we see it. Sometimes we see it. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes God's good toward us slowly unfolds right in front of us. God's providence unfolds. Jeff reminded me this week when I was at game day at Craig's office. Craig has a game day if you want to come see him. But when I was there at Craig's office, Jeff reminded me, he said, you remember the story about Jason? We hired Jason as a pastor, and you said to Jason, you can't date women here because that's going to be awkward if you're a pastor dating women, right? And then breaking up with them. But you need to get married because that's also going to be a problem long term. So we got to figure that out. We just need to pray God sends a wife. That Sunday, Kristen walked in. And I looked at her Facebook profile. I thought, she's kind of cute. Maybe she'd be good for Jason. So I looked at her Facebook profile, and it said like she was the president or something of her gun club, and she loves to read Spurgeon. And I thought, that's Jason's wife. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. That's true. I saw the Lord's providence unfold right in front of me. Two things Jason loves, guns and Spurgeon. It was easy. Match made in heaven. You're single, she's single. Let's just get this thing done. And off we went. Sometimes we don't see that. There are members of our church right now who are suffering with no understanding of what God is doing. None. But his word says we can trust that he's ever at work for our good and his glory. Even when we can't see how. Sovereign grace as the Lord answers your prayers, humbly rejoice in the Lord. Do not let God's blessing become an opportunity for pride, but rather for humility. May we all be able to confess, I trust God so much that I do not doubt. He will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. May we believe that. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the grace that we know in Christ. We pray that we would trust him 
that we would look to him, that we would see him clearly as the evidence that you were for us. If you gave us your own son, how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? We can trust you even if we can't see what you're doing. May we be a people who do not lean on our own understanding, but who trust you in all our ways, who fear you, flee from sin, who cast ourselves ever upon your grace, trusting you as a faithful father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.